welcome back to the podcast. Um, can't contain the smile right now, to be fair. Big day for me. I've got, uh, you actually said, I think it was in your book or potentially on your socials, um, work hard to one day your idols become your rivals. Um, definitely still an idol, but I've got James Smith on the podcast today. Um, don't want to put too much gas in you, mate, or jump on your cock too much. But That's all right, we're going to go head to head. Well, you're coming for me, are you? You're coming for the... Yeah, well, coming for the great one, mate. Um, no, I'd say just to tell you a bit about my story, um, I bit battled my mental health um, and I knew basically for me when I was going through mental health issues, exercise was sort of like the hand that I felt was keeping me away from doing something really stupid. Um, so once I felt I was getting on top of my issues, I thought, right, I want to pursue a career in health, exercise, fitness to then um, help as many people as I can. I'm not going to be a psychiatrist, but I feel like I can help people from a mental and physical standpoint to improve. Um, I was scanning the industry on socials and obviously, as you know, um, and I think we'll kick off with socials, there is a lot of people that will post abs um, and don't really give too much back to um, people. They don't try and educate them to get healthier. It's more about, look at my abs. If you want to look this way, you need to do this, buy this plan or put in my discount code to do something. Yeah, I think uh, fitness as an industry is very much like a, it's a double-edged sword because like you say, you have all these benefits that are going to benefit someone's well-being and mindset. But on the other side, people through probably not being very business-minded struggle to monetize. Then the other side of this, you know, blade is that people are now making people feel inadequate, making them feel like they're not in good enough shape. And what should be a, a wonderful industry where, you know, it's, when it comes to mental health and exercise, I think that I will never say to someone, you know, oh, if you're depressed, just exercise or get fit mm. because they're miserable people with a six pack. But again, people do take so much benefit from being in better shape, feeling better about themselves, you know, because of the knock on effect it has. And I always love using sex as a driver. If you've got poor self-esteem, you're not in the mood to fuck people. Yep. And, and if you don't feel like you're in the mood to fuck people, that has a big impact on everyday life. You don't feel confident ask for a number, taking your stuff off at the beach. But then the other side of that, the other side of fitness is people in fucking six packs. You know, you'd like you say, if you want to look like this. And I think one of the things that's overlooked, you might agree with me on this, is a lot of people aren't very happy with their life and no one's really taught how to construct their life. So a lot of people in relationships, they that are toxic. Yep. They don't know about it. And they got jobs they fucking hate. Now, the only pleasure a lot of people take from each day is their food. And you can tell by looking at them. Yeah, fair. You know, no, 100%. Someone's in a, you know, and that's not to say all obese people are unhappy, but it's to say that for a large majority of them, hey, mate, the fact you're 20 stone is overconsumption of calories. But why is that overconsumption of calories? And I know someone's going to wade in and go, physical abuse as a child, sexual abuse, whatever it is. Yeah. And I agree that goes on. But for a lot of people, if your professional and relationship life lets you down. As an industry, you can't just say to someone, eat less, because that fat person just became less happy. 100%. And I think that that is, like food is definitely people's outlet. But then I think the more people eat, because that makes them happy, it takes them further away from these images that they see 
on social media of what is perceived to be fit. Um, I think when I started following you, well, I'll talk to about, about my story first. I, when, before I struggled with mental health issues, I was literally like, I trained to look good and that's me done. Like I'm, as long as I look good, then I'm happy. Um, obviously through the battle of my mental health, then I was like, okay, there's the physical aspects of training, the mental aspects of training. Um, and you always put out like, to be a good PT, you don't need to walk around with abs or the worst advert for a PT is to put up a picture of them um, competing in like a bodybuilding show because yes, okay, you look great, but not everyone aspires to be that. Um, and I think it is very difficult to, where it is so obvious now to people that okay, I can go on social media, I can see a hundred people with six packs, I can see a girl with the most unbelievable figure. And even though I know that that is so edited, um, I still buy into that is how they actually look. Um, what makes you, what made you so keen to sort of say, right, I'm James Smith, I don't like the way the industry is, I'm gonna set out to change it. I think it's uh, it's quite. There needs to be a bit of a balance where if you think that, for once you don't want to take uh, advice from a physio that's always injured. So like you yeah. know that you, you know if someone's injured all the time and they're a physio, you're like, come on, mate. And I think that we do have that stigma towards overweight PTs. But again, you never know what's going on in someone's life. Mm. You know whether or not they've got a really bad injury, whether they used to be an athlete, whatever it is. Um, and one thing that I realised early on in my career was when you look at the PT boards in the gym. I was like, fucking hell, these people have no idea who they're talking to. They have no idea. Yeah. And it shows from the surface level a massive lack of understanding of their target market. That's business chat. But if you look into a real life chat, that's not just your demographic or your avatar. These are real people that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. So the fitness industry, the people that are great at restricting food, that their sport is not eating properly for 20 weeks. No matter what anyone says, that's, yeah. that's your job. You yeah. don't eat properly for 20 weeks. So we have the people that are the best at not eating, trying to help the people that are the worst at not eating. And I straight away just saw that and I was like, this is fucked. Yep. And it's, there's a big divide in that. And I was like, hold on, do these people actually understand the other people? And I, I stood back for a bit and I was like, I think I do understand these people because I've always been in a constant battle with my weight. I was an overweight kid. Now I wasn't fucking obese struggling mm. to fit through a door, but I had no understanding. And my parents had no understanding. My dad is a director level or was uh, in a business. So he couldn't have gone any higher. CEO of a fucking business that turns over millions of pounds. He doesn't know what calories. Yeah. And, you know, then my mum on the other side worked in a school. She's a hairdresser and she was very good at what she did. Doesn't know what a carb is. And it's not just stupid people that don't understand. It's the generation before us. Mm -hmm. So we've now got a massive generation of people that are growing up now that can't get their teachers at school to tell them can't get their parents to tell them. And should they go to the gym, which is the only place that I feel they could get the advice, they get some fucking idiot who professionally in their spare time diets by not eating much for 20 weeks. And I was like, what, what approach are they gonna give to these people? And often it is chicken, broccoli, cardio, <laughs> and bro split. Yep. And I was like, nah, I, I don't wanna do that. So I doubt they do. Fair play. Like. Um I think as well for me on a personal level, like I, I'd go into my local gym or whatever. This is before I was a PT. 
And I think you've got everyone there is trying to sell exactly the same dream. I, I didn't feel like anybody was taking time out to actually understand the person um, and really think, all right, why are they coming to the gym? What is their why, so to speak, for trying to make a change? And I think with fitness, for sure, like you need to, there's people, right, I want to change. You'll get men, women, uh, early 20s that probably watch um, these reality TV shows, Kardashians, whatever. I want that body. Um, do you think that there is a, you've mentioned that that was the generation before. Do you believe that from what you're doing, from what you're inspiring other coaches like myself to do, do you believe that, you can change or we can change the next crop of people to understand that health and fitness like i think i've been there myself i used to think i can only eat chicken broccoli do you know what i mean oh me too yeah for years and and the bro split like i was literally like dedicated chest back shoulders arms legs maybe not too much legs but do you think that we can change the mentality of the majority of the public going forward? Because obviously obesity is such a huge thing. I think so. Uh, yeah, I, th I think we, de we can definitely change it. And I think that one thing that I'd like to credit my own work with is putting all my content out over the years. There's a bit about me, but mostly it's about the person. Mm -hmm. And if you look at any personal trainers, social media, especially, you know, here's today's workout, here's today's food, here's today's this. That's your workout, that's your food. Never have you presented someone else's problems and put them mm -hmm. on the table. And I think that when I started to see relative success in the industry, someone was like, hold on, he's not posting pictures of his top off. He's not, you know, competing at a physique show. He's not showing us his cut. Just putting answers to people's questions. Mm -hmm. That was all I was doing. And I did that in, in my job as well. And I think this answers to questions thing is the most important because I haven't suffered badly with mental health. So we're gonna sit either sides of the table figuratively and, yeah. and, and that doesn't make us uh, against each other, it just makes us a bit different yep. so far. I might just have my mental health dip later on in life. Fair. And for me with a client, sometimes someone could go, you know, oh, you, you just sat with your client and spoke for half the session. They barely did any exercise. I go, yeah, but you don't know, you don't know my client. I know their why. Mm -hmm. And if their why is to feel better about themselves, it's not about smashing them. Yep. Whereas yep. if you have someone else who is about smashing them, you're probably not going to talk much. Yep. Agree. Like, um, when I used to do face-to-face -face PT and there was a client and he'd literally come into me and he'd be like, can we just go for a walk? I want to talk about my missus at the time. So I'd be like, if that's what you want to do with your hour, like you're, you're still exercising, but if that's your relief um, and your wire, then, then fair play. I think there is, when I get clients on board, they definitely at the beginning say to me, oh, this session... I didn't feel sore through it or, and I think that's again is a, a, a negative stigma towards fitness that every session you have to be, if you're not sweating, then you're not working. If you're not, if you can't walk properly for the next three days, then it's not a difficult workout. And I definitely say over the last two, three years for me personally as well, I've understood more around fitness that it doesn't need to be, it's, just turning up and doing something it's not got to be a hundred percent every day 
I did this today, exactly just for this uh, podcast. I went to the gym. I did four sets of row, four sets of bench press and a 500 meter swim. And I left and they were like, oh, that was quick. Um, and I rented a towel so they knew I'd swum as well. And I said, oh, I just did eight sets and a swim. And they were like, oh, we still got it done. I was like, no, 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 eight sets is not a lot. Mm. You know, it was four minutes rest. I call it eight minutes on one exercise, eight minutes on the other and a 12 minute swim. Yeah. And I said to them, it, it had nothing to do with what I did today. It was the fact I haven't swum in a while and I wanted to go to the gym today. But truth be told, mate, I've been in bed playing Call of Duty. Hopefully my business partner won't listen to this. Yeah. I got jujitsu tonight and I could not be fucked to train. Yeah. But just going, turning up and doing those four sets in a 12 minute swim, I felt better about myself. I think that's definitely uh, underestimated. Like, I don't know why people always have this feeling that if you train, it has to be an hour to be a good session. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. Do you um, know where that comes from? It comes from personal trainers. I'm telling you now. The, it took me about three years to do this, to have the confidence to turn to my client and go, we're done. 10 minutes left of the session. So they pay me for the hour. Yeah. 10 minutes to the, say they, they're 12 to 1. If we're done at 10 to 1, I turn to them, I go, we've actually finished. Never did a client go, but there's 10 minutes left. They were like, oh, well, thank you very much. And they'd leave. Yeah. And what I've seen over the years is personal trainers now going, look at their watch. Let's do a fat burning little hit. Let's, yeah. let's do a bit of a Make hit. sure they're sweaty before they go to the changing room. TRX squat jumps to batter. <laughs> yeah. You know, how many minutes we've got left? Four. Well, that's eight rounds. And the client's there like, the client's not dumb. The client knows yeah. exactly what you're doing. At the same time, you know what you're doing. And then literally 10 seconds after the hour, see you later. But you, you saying that to your client and, and giving them that, they're, they're not angry to leave. And like you say, I think the construct was a, a PT wanting to charge for the hour. And if someone pushed back, you're like, nah, you actually paid me for the session that was to be done in an hour, we got it done. And I bet you're probably the same, 45 minutes for a workout is more than enough. I'm, I love fitness. I, I could easily, well, I say I could easily train five, six times a week. Sometimes I do, sometimes I can't be bothered. But if I'm in the gym longer than 45 or 40 minutes, I'd say, then I start looking at my phone. I'm getting bored of being in there. Like I've, I feel like I've, I've done what I needed to do get out of there, get on with my day. Um, if, but- you have, if you have personal trainers listening to this, right, best thing that I, I did was uh, I used to charge hour sessions. I think I was charging like 60 pounds, which mm. is pretty good for Bracknell. And then I started charging 35 for half hour slots. Mm-hmm. Some of them I even charged 44. And I said to someone, come in, do uh, 100 calories on the cross trainer. Just, and I said, just to, and that was more from a mental standpoint, just to let them know they're going to exercise. Come down to me. They would do their uh, workout with me and then I would send them to go. I say, oh, I'll go do four sets, biceps, four sets, triceps. You yep. don't need to be there as a trainer. Yep. And my clients enjoyed their session so much when it was just half an hour with me. They were still in the gym for an hour, but they were only with me for half an hour, which meant I could go through more clients more frequently. Yep. And instead of doing these little fucking hit bits at the end, I was just taking them through their compound lower body lifts, their compound push, their compound pull. And people don't actually want to be with you for an hour face to face because it's training for them. 100% and I think when I used to I'm, I'm a good talker like I, I literally batter your ears off for, for however long but um, you do get clients sometimes they're just sitting there like alright okay you can sort of see in their face that their time's done I've never really thought outside the box like that to think oh yeah just send them off to do other um, exercises on their own but I think yeah if you're a personal trainer listening that's definitely it's all got to come back to what they want at the end of the day as well, where uh, the best, the beauty of that for me went that I could go from seeing my clients now three times a week. So positioning 
four sessions at 40 pounds for half an hour each or three sessions even at 40 pounds meant that they would have to invest 120 pounds let's say but they'd see me three times yep. a week and if i was to charge them uh two pt sessions 120 they go that's a bit that's a mm. bit much but i go seeing me three times versus seeing me twice you're getting you know 33 percent more sessions and then again with the close i love business chat if i said to them right you're going to train monday wednesday friday if they did the three half hour options i go you never need to bring a program to the gym yeah and someone goes fuck that's something they don't want to do it's the same price as two hours and yeah it, it's one of those things where it was all about always about the client just because some bodybuilders train fucking two hours they think all their clients do do you think uh just going back to the, the the point, obviously on a PT running things for an hour. Do you think that is through a PT's insecurities as well? Because they're probably thinking, "Shit, this person's paying me for an hour. I know they're done, but they're going to think I'm a shit PT if I don't have them working up to fifty nine, fifty nine." Yeah, and and this stems probably to uh, general life as well, where everyone works nine till five. Mm. If you get your work done, you can't go home early. And I fucking hate this, right? Yeah. It was nine to five 50 years ago. It's still nine to five. Now, if there are a lot of businesses, more of them doing flexi hours, but I found Parkinson's law is my favorite concept that whatever amount of time it'll take that long to complete. Yeah. If I'm at the office at fucking 4 p.m., I've got three things to do and I can't leave till five. Those three things are going to take me an hour. 100%. And yeah. I, you're the same now. Good one cafe. Now they're fucking hurrying us up having a coffee. 20 minutes left, you're like, fucking limitless, man. <laughs> you're like, I'm getting all this shit done. Fingers are burning. Yeah, and like, and, and again, that, that approach is never there and people listening will know that that one day they only had 20 minutes for a workout, they were sore fucking for a week. Whereas if they're there for an hour and a half and they've got nothing on the afternoon, it takes the whole time. And I think that finishing a session early can be the sign of a good PT because I could confidently say, we had your rear foot elevated split squats. We had your single leg hip thrust. We had your uh, plyometric box press-ups and we had your inverted row. We planned four sets of each. You improved on these two sets. These two are still working. It's eight minutes two. We're done. And if you have a confidence to say that, then, mm. then you can do it and you can get people to walk away. But yeah, personal trainers are the most insecure people in the world. They have built a business out of modeling their own insecurities. We yeah. all say we love fitness. We enjoy it, but we yep. actually enjoy the process of making ourselves less insecure. So do you, from a personal perspective, personal do, standpoint, you, yeah. do you feel like you was insecure before you found um, sport or exercising? I didn't realize the level of insecurities I had until I started improving them. Okay. So I went to the gym because I wanted to be strong. Mm -hmm. I went to the gym because I wanted to play rugby better. Is um, that, so... You wanted to be strong to improve your rugby? Yeah. Or, right, okay, yeah. So yeah. I was playing rugby and I was like, fuck, there's some big boys. I'm going to have to get mm -hmm. bigger. Uh, and did that. And then I, I trained in the gym a bit. Didn't really know what I was doing. This is 16. So this is what fucking nearly the 15 years ago that I started. And I had no fucking idea what I was doing. But then when I got to my 20s and I started trying to understand a bit more about nutrition and this and that. And, and even though my the, the, the thing is that if you get poor nutritional advice, it still work. So someone says to you low carb is good for fat loss it did create a deficit although it isn't scientifically true yeah bread is bad for you so although that's not scientifically true i still ate less bread therefore ate less sandwiches therefore had less, less condiments yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i went into <laughs> yeah. it and then in my early 20s i realized that because i was in better shape more muscular and less fat that i was fucking hot of birds fair and it, it, it it's a weird thing and then you go hold on do you not think that that is because you're because yourself, you perceived yourself as 
better shape than your confidence goes. I think, it, I think, I think it's two-sided as well. And I think that right. it goes with your actual physical appearance. Mm-hmm. And then for the first time in my life, people go, oh, you're in really good shape. Oh, you must go to the gym. People even say that to you at the bar. That's yeah. a woman's chat line. She's like, oh, you got big arms. Yeah, and yeah. then you're like, oh, you're drunk. I'm still <laughs> waiting to hear that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're there and you're like, so suddenly you're, you're in that and you're like, I want more. And then I remember my first time I went on steroids, I was about 22. And then the reason I went on steroids because I didn't feel big enough. Mm-hmm insecurity i then trained alongside anabolic steroids i fucking loved it the things i learned on that journey of negating my insecurities helped me develop my knowledge of fitness okay someone says to me do i love fitness i'm like yeah i fucking love it i train every day i go to the gym seven times a week but really i fell in love with the process of improving myself Mm -hmm. because then when i look in the mirror and shave my chest when i got home i would prefer what i saw okay and i think that a lot of the fitness industry are lying to themselves where they they don't love fitness per se, they love maintaining this process of making themselves feel good. The reason I feel so many fitness people are so good at not eating is because they hate themselves if they do. Okay. How many how many fitness professionals are okay posting a picture of them in off season? Yeah, that's very true. I had a chat with someone. Uh, I think it was yesterday. And they was literally basically saying to me, you get like fitness influencers that will, it looks like for three months, they're just constantly in a different destination on holiday. And that's because they're just getting different shots with different backgrounds to look like they're in shape all year and then they'll just spread out. So um, Lauren Simpson, uh, who's here in Sydney, uh, when I first met her, she was like, uh, I actually saw her in the gym once. She was training at BeachFit. Mm-hmm. and uh, I get on with Lauren I like Lauren Simpson she's cool I think she got 1.9 million is it yeah, yeah. just a, yeah, yeah, like just, a, just a few no, so yeah, yeah. That. and uh, she goes to me she was like I was really worried you're going to rip me apart and I said why she goes because we changed outfits three times in a workout so they were being they were filming each other in the gym and it was more about the different outfits in the same yeah. gym environment and you see that as well when chicks do photo shoots dudes as well they take different pairs of swim trunks another guy I know a uh, crossfitter Change the swimming trunks up to three times in a day on holiday as leanest, so he'd have more photos to rotate, and it would prolong that idealism of how lean he was. And and a lot of people do this. I think. Um, well, I'd say even for for yourself, I know you've done uh, a lot of filming for your own app the other day. Is that a case of are you just literally like right? I'm demonstrating these exercises. I'm not training, or are you? They're like, no, I've just gone through this session. This is what I've done. No, no, no. All of the uh, modules are educative. I never yeah. joined in my PT, my PT clients. There was no need. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because it was about how they performed the exercise, not me. And um, there are some people that take a lot from workouts. I know that you post workouts with your bird. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've seen well, these. <laughs> shout out Sam Wallace. She'll be, she'll be well happy. Um, I do. Do you know what? I, For me personally, I love pumping out content that potentially my audience hasn't seen yet that I feel like they need to see. So like you say, a low carb diet isn't great because it's low carb. It's because you restrict your calories and create the deficit. So I like people to know the facts around fitness and try not to overcomplicate it. But on the workout side, I do feel a pressure to post workouts not because i enjoy posting the workouts and i can tell you now i'm not doing bodyweight workouts every day um but i do that because i feel like 
well, there's going to be people that do want to jump around their living room um, to get fitter. So I'm trying to benefit them whilst doing a bit of what I do. I know you're probably going to rip me to shit here because that's not your style at all. I don't think that's a solution to a true problem. Okay. That's, that's what, and I think the people that like home workouts don't understand their own problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, see Courtney Black. Yeah. Accelerating. Yeah. On uh, social media and exploding by offering these free workouts. Mm. Now, um, from a business hat perspective, the monetization of this is always going to, you know, uh, it's going to, there's, there's free advice out there. Mm. And I truly, if someone wants to train at home in their front room, I don't think they want to, they may want to feel motivated, but I feel like they, everyone knows how to burn calories at home. Yep. I mean, you could do max burpees to failure, mm-hmm. minute off, repeat five times. You're probably going to burn the maximum amount of calories in 15 minutes. Yep. So if you're time poor, everyone listening, you've just got to work out. And guess how you progressively overload that? You just go to failure, then take your one minute off and repeat for 15 minutes. Over time, you'll be able to accomplish more burpees. Yep. People go, no, 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 but I don't want that. But then you have to burst the bubble for them and say, every home workout that you're following is being made up on the spot. 100%. I've, you use Courtney Black as a, this is definitely not a ripping out. No, no, she's doing uh, fantastic. She's, yeah, she's smashing it. But I've seen some sit-ups where she's punching pillows and I think, really what is that it's entertainment yeah yeah exactly like uh it's enjoyable to watch let's put it that way and it's it's changed people want change but like um what i'd love to do is is like uh she's getting some fantastic viewings on her on her instagram courtney for listening how are you doing are you from the same part of the world yeah yeah, yeah. she uh actually used to see one of my best mates oh, yeah. so yeah yeah fox yeah um, <laughs> they're, they're trying to mix it up so that people feel like they're getting something different every day and what people really don't want to hear is guess what the most successful training programs is the same program repeated for eight weeks. That program that is going to elicit the most amount of muscle growth and strength increases, you're going to sit around for most of the time playing on your phone. And this is the thing people don't want to hear. When you perform a proper resistance training session, there's nothing glamorous about it. Yeah. It's just consistent. Basic. Like it is for me, the way I teach my clients is if you do the basics, well, you're going to get to the end goal. Like, uh, there's enough, my biggest pet peeve probably in a gym is if I see someone with a weight on the side of their head and they're giving it this, like fair enough boxes, they need to strengthen their neck or some of this to do their um, fucking forearms. I'm just literally thinking like, what are you doing? But like you say, I think. I walk into gyms, right? I saw this one chick the other day, she was quite overweight and she was kneeling down doing bicep curls with a PT. And I'm like, I would love to see the rest of this session because we're training a relatively small body part when really she could be sat on a bum doing nothing, having a conversation about a calorie intake mm. that could be doing more for her than those fucking bicep curls. Yeah. But like what you're saying, and this is another pet peeve I have, when someone picks up a 1.25 disc and puts it on either end of the barbell, that person knows what they're doing because they're probably looking for an incremental increase of 2.5 kilograms. Yeah. The people that I fucking hate are the ones that take the 15 kg plates off to put the 20 kg ones on. That's not about lifting, that's about their ego. Yep. They want to see blue when they do the movement, not yellow. Yeah, fair. And it's, everyone wants, they're, they're all after the wrong thing in my opinion. And I've never come across someone that goes, I want to be better at home training. I would 100%. I, like I would, for me personally, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. But I think that can move us nicely onto the next point is confidence. I think a lot of people train at home where no one can see them because they're worried about what people 
would think of them if they go into a gym. And I know Diran um, posts quite a lot about gym confidence. What do you think the best ways are to, to get over that? Would you say you have relatively good confidence? Yeah. Uh, you were confident enough to buy me a coffee in the cafe before we met? Yeah. How did it feel doing your first video to camera? Absolutely shat myself. Absolutely shat myself. To be fair, like I'll say I don't make a video in a few like a few days or a week or so, I'll be like, fucking hell, here we go again. Do you know what I mean? Like, And that's exactly what people need to realize. The first time you do something, it's fucking scary. Yeah. We need to stop pretending it's not. Now, if so, say uh, there was a group of random people in here and we all had to record a video talking to camera, I can appreciate that even me in front of that camera or Sonny doing his weightlifting could intimidate other people. Mm. We're just further along than them. And the Definitely. same reason being a white belt coming to a jiu-jitsu session, it's fucking scary. You're going to drown for your first three months. Now, in a gym environment, you can pay someone to hold your hand for a start. Yep. You can. If you don't want to pay someone, there are gym instructors there who it's job for six pounds an hour to hold your fucking hand. Now, I appreciate and I can empathize with people being scared, but they need to realize you and I in our first gym session were shit in our pants. I couldn't bench. I, when I first went to the gym, I could not bench the bar. And I always try and push that story. I don't know why I couldn't, but I had to start on dumbbells. Obviously, I was probably about 14. So it's way back when. Um, but yeah, like, and that for me, I was in front of my friend. I had uh, someone give me an induction. That was a horrific experience for me. Like I could have gone home and cried. I'm not, not even lying. But I think, like you say, again, it's, it is something that you just have to overcome. I was, I was 21 when I learned how to deadlift. 21. It's PT at 24, right? Yeah. And uh, some of my mates from Manchester came to one of my uh, events. And I had like 300 people at the event. Fucking awesome sellout night, dance house, Manchester. And after, one of them turns to me and he's like, Jimbo, do you remember doing your deadlift at uni? And I was like, what? And he's like, I remember now, Hartbury College was where I went. I was upstairs and there's another PT uh, called Will Foden. And he saw me trying to deadlift my own body weight and I couldn't get the bar off the floor. It wasn't even a bad deadlift, mate. I couldn't get it off the floor. Yeah. So I'm 21. I've been playing rugby for fucking seven years. I was captain of Berkshire under 20s. I could captain a team through a big game, but I couldn't deadlift my own body weight. Yeah. And it was like a mental block. No one had ever taught me. And people, I think, need to realize that only three years before I became PT, I couldn't, I couldn't deadlift. It was just an education problem. It was an experience problem. And obviously, confidence, and this is a big, big theme in my second book, Confidence is built and it's not, it's not earned, it's not given. You can't uh, get a guarantee that you study a certain course and that you're going to, you know, become more confident. It's something that people have to develop mm. and it's step by step. It's progressive overload. Yep. If I say to someone, you're not going to lift that weight in the gym for a while, just double checking this recording. If someone sure. was, to, yeah, sick. If someone <laughs> was to say, uh, you turn to me, you go, I want to deadlift 300 kg. Yep. And I go, it's probably not going to happen for a year and a half. Let's get to work. Yeah. Cool. With gym confidence, you're probably not going to be that confident with a year and a half. Mm -hmm. like, oh no, best train at home. Yeah, fair play. I think um, I think you're absolutely right. I think, again, it goes back to a point of just turning up. And I think that any people are so happy to set themselves goals of that's how I want to look. But after doing two, three weeks of work, I think they think, eh, this isn't... Um, 
this is not this isn't for me but how much do i actually want it like um i think I actually, it's the process as well so let's imagine for anything you have to fall in love with the process mm. uh, and to mix process and confidence that tripod i bought that three and a half years ago maybe four years it's the same one and i go live every day i go live because my laptop couldn't edit videos because it would just die every time i tried to upload in a file yeah i didn't know how to edit either so i had to go live on instagram it's my only way of doing content yeah so for my first year and a half it was pictures and live videos. Mm -hmm. I do a live Q&A, then a live rant. I do the Q&A in the morning, the rant in the evening. Okay. For the first Q&As, to make sure I felt confident, I would say that people had asked me questions. They hadn't asked me questions. Yeah. I pre-wrote them. I think we all do that. Yeah. We've yeah, all been we there. Yeah. Hey guys, <laughs> ask just, me a question. <laughs> and then you're just like, uh, so how this, tall are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the early days. So yeah. to make sure that I was confident, people go, oh, but you're so confident with your answers. I should be. I fucking wrote them. Yeah. And then um, with the confidence for the rants, like I couldn't make a mistake when I was live. Um, but over time, there's been this progression where, you know, this has developed where I am now people go oh how'd you get confident I'll probably the four years of trying to do yeah. it every day and gym confidence like if you're new you're fucking new if you're mm. a white belt you're a white belt people need to understand that you know stop looking at the black belt and wondering why he's so yeah. confident you've just got to work on getting your first stripe on your belt and again in jiu-jitsu which I love using the analogy mm. you turn up to a one hour class you might only learn one thing there's probably 10,000 submissions. That, you know, there's so many ways yeah. to make someone tap. You learn one thing. One session at jiu-jitsu is not going to help you at all. One visit to the gym is not going to really do much for mm. your confidence. But repeating and turning up every day, if you enjoy the session, that's all is important. And for so many people with their home training, they say they enjoy it. But their actions don't show that because they don't sustain it very long. I think, obviously, I think for us, we're, we enjoy the gym some days um but like you say i just don't see how i just don't think home workouts are sustainable like um obviously we mentioned joe wicks earlier he i think done a fantastic thing trying to get kids active during this time but i think on a larger scale doing 20 minutes of hit in a confined space isn't really gonna be the sustainable or the solution to your problem. That's exactly what I was going to say. And it, it's in essence, what's the problem here? One, a fucking virus that's killing thousands of people, COVID. Two, parents stuck at home. Three, childhood obesity. It's mm -hmm. got three problems. 20 minutes a hit is like having a massive fucking gouging cut in your arm and you're putting a plaster on it. Yeah. You know, it might, for the time being, you're like, yeah, well, that's great. Oh, what, a what a lovely plaster you have there. But it's not really addressing the problem. And like you say, Joe's excelled in his space. He's done incredibly well um, over the last few years. But to me, the home training and cooking everything from scratch was a plaster over a wound again, mm -hmm. where not everyone wants to train at home. Not everyone wants to, uh, you know, cook from scratch. And it's not, it's not, it's, it's a system, yes. But I don't feel, in my honest personal opinion, that many people sustain that. And not, not sustaining something isn't a bad thing because people fail jobs all the time. Yeah. People go into recruitment and fucking hate it. <laughs> the problem is that they blame themselves for the failure. Fair. So we got a lot of people right now who are like, I'm going to train from home. Do you like to work on your laptop from home? No. No, no one does. <laughs> Not a chance. I have to get out. Yeah. It's a, and it's an environment thing. And yeah. the, we don't love the gym, but we love a different environment. I've, taking a pre-workout and staying in my front room is my idea of hell. It's about as appealing as taking MDMA and sitting on the sofa. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, like, because of that, 
we, we have to have different environments. It's why we like going to the pub. The Royal in Bondi yeah. is a fucking shithole. The biggest shithole. But we love it because it's got beer and our friends in it. It's yeah. an environmental thing. And I think that, you know, we need to go different places. You go to cafe to put your phone down and chat to your friends. You go to the Royal to drink beers and chat up people. Mm-hmm. And you go to the gym to have an hour or 45 minutes of your day just focused on yourself and building gym confidence. I think, again, that moves on nicely. Gym... What I try and push out so much is, it's one. I think it's one of the most selfish things that you can do, um, to say, I'm going to the gym for me to improve myself only. Do you agree with that, or do you think it's? Um, do you feel like, well, I don't know the ins and outs of your academy, but do you feel like people are there to say, oh, I just want to make a change for a short period of time so I look great on for this occasion? Or do you think it's, like for me, I got Sam, bless her, she'll say to me, oh, can I come train with you? And I'll say, absolutely fucking not. This is my hour to do my thing, to listen to my music and not think about anything apart from numbers that, right, that's four sets. How many reps? I think a lot of people are so fucking caught up about everyone else right now. Mm. And it's like a plane's going down and everyone's putting on masks and everyone around them. And then they're complaining that they fucking died from not enough oxygen. Yeah. Now, this is ugh, this this could be portrayed quite badly, but I don't feel people are selfish enough right now. Agree. Especially mums who spend all their time looking after their kids and their fucking husbands. Mm. Right? Let's not get this twisted yeah. men a lot of working men because they do their nine till five think that the wife should do everything else mm-hmm. most of my clients are female and most of them when they join the academy it's them putting their foot down and going this is about me now yeah because look at the fucking state of me i've not only neglected myself i've been neglected by everyone else and people need to be selfish and you know what if you let your bird come and train with you that's you being a bad boyfriend because ultimately you're going to resent her for that that'll piss me off yeah and you're, and you're going to be a cunt when you get home. Yeah, I agree. And so many people are cunts because they are not strong enough to sell, tell people how they feel or what they want. And I think, I know this, this podcast isn't on relationships, but I feel like that, that, that lack of honesty, if I was to say to Sam, oh yeah, just come train with me, come train with me, later down the line, I'm just going to be like, fuck off now. And I've, had, I've got ex-girlfriends where... I've not been honest. I've been like, oh yeah, I just need to make them happy. Need to make them happy. And it all... I think that I've, I've always explained to... I'm not the relationship expert. My longest probably a fucking couple of months. But I think that's because I see relationships as two people that have to be responsible of how bright their light is. If you expect someone else to charge and make your light bright, it's only going to dim theirs. Yeah. And it's fucking draining as it is being in a relationship, let alone being in one where you're, support, you're, you're responsible for the other person's mm. well-being. And when you have those two really bright shining lights, you should share those together. Yeah. And don't have to share it together all the time. It doesn't mean everything you do has to be like that. One of my favorite uh, relationships I was in, it was actually was about a year and a half. The chick lived in Norway. I mate, I saw way. each other once every two weeks. Or was, once every was week. you, oh, so you was in, was in, in the, the UK. UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she played rugby for Norway as well. She's better at rugby than I was. And, um, Is that easily done or? Maybe well. <laughs> Under 20 no, captain. No, no comment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so then every time we saw each other, it was that fucking cool. We weren't on our phones when we saw each other. Yeah. We'd go climb a mountain. We'd go do this. We'd go do that. And that really showed me that, you know, you don't have to be there every day to make sure someone's all right. She looked after herself. I looked after myself. When we spent time together, it was amazing. Yeah. Now, 
in the micro scale of that, even when people are living together, training is your time. It's not to be shared. The, and you know what? Even I felt like a bit of a fraud as a PT because I fucking hate training with people. Agree. I hate it. Yet my business was training with people. Agree. Which is why I like training people online because they can do their own fucking Honestly. thing. They don't want to listen to yeah. you. They don't want to listen to a playlist. Agree. And I think like... I think I'm, I'm from a very similar standpoint. Like, I love helping people, but doing it face-to-face, it's like, well... The worrying thing is that I didn't realise how much better my results were going to be when I removed myself out of the gym equation. I think that's... Did you, so when you moved from... Face-to-face to online, yeah, I, I saw people doing better. And I was like, fair. oh, fuck. I'm, and it, it kind of <laughs> makes me... I'm a hindrance. Me, yeah. It kind of makes me feel like maybe we need to up the level of gym instructors and have a middle ground between gym instructors and PTs where you have like helpers on the yeah. gym floor. And maybe you've got to do like two years of just helping people for 20 pounds an hour. And then you can be a PT, whether you're face-to-face or you're online. I think um, that's something I see in the gym all the time. Like you obviously, a gym is not a place to go in and banter people for performing exercises wrong. But I don't, when you go into a gym, you never see a PT that's not free going over to someone and saying, look, you're actually not performing that exercise right. Um, this is how you should do it. But when I used to PT, if someone was doing something wrong, I would straight away think, right, that's a chance for business there. I'm going to show them how to do it. They're going to see the benefit and then think, oh, maybe. It's it's a matter I used to do this. And I remember uh, in George Street, I was like, there was a guy who was uh, crossing his arms when he was doing pec fly. Mm-hmm. And everyone's so focused on their wrists, but their pec doesn't connect to their wrist, it connects to the elbow. elbow yeah. So if they were just to bring their elbows together and they wouldn't have to cross over. I ran over to guy. I was like, hey, mate, you're doing something. And I used to, and he was just like, fuck off. And I was like, cool, cheers, great. Two years later, I'm going to be one of the best paid PTs in the world. And that guy told me to fuck off when I was just trying to tell him yeah. a mistake that I was making. I think, again, though, that's like fair fucks to you, isn't it? Like to, just to have the oh. bottle to do it. And it's become that culture are, now where, you know, I think, again, this is because a lot of PTs are very insecure. Mm. Because they're insecure, they struggle very much and they overanalyze their approach. Like, even, you know, everyone seems to think that has to be their avenue in. But if, for me, I was insecure with prospecting, so I created social media. I created my social media so that people would come to me. Okay, fair. You know, like, um, all right, so it's it's another reason that people have dating apps. Because that means the person come to them. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're removing, what's, pe- what's someone's biggest insecurity when approaching someone for their number or to tell them they want to go on a date? Just getting told no, isn't it? Yeah, rejection. Yeah. What do dating apps remove? The rejection. Because okay. social media do. Fair. Link- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've never actually looked at it like that, but. And, there's, and the same reason that so many of us use social media for business so we don't have to face rejection. I feel like, um, yeah, I feel for me, social media, I think my following's a bit different because it comes from a different background and now I'm trying to convert it over to fitness. Um, Which is an interesting journey in itself because oh. um, I know it's, it's always, uh, always been a hard one to quantify and identity and purpose, a big pit, mental health is like this table, right? And it's held up by so many things, diet, exercise, Identity and purpose, I think, feel the two legs of the table, mm. which is why I feel that people that have come from your background sometimes do struggle. But then there, there are so many things. So Darren was asked to go on the last season. Oh, yeah. He interviewed for it. Okay. And last minute he didn't do it. it. What was his reason for that? 
losing losing his fitness identity. One of them, yes, mm-hmm. because then he was he was worried about that. But then also, I said to him, hand on my heart, I was like, mate, I'm not sure how you're going to handle coming out with a following from that, who then unfollow you because you're not the same person that was mm. before, and the value that you hold of your following dictating your growth is one that people shouldn't use, but they do use. And what you're doing is if you're not ready for that, you're going to see a decline purely because people don't care about your fitness chat. Yep. That is That's it. so true. So I went, obviously went on the show, my followers went up to about 50, 60K. And then since then, I've lost basically half my followers through me just pushing out what I want to. And it is definitely a mental battle. Like every day I'm thinking, I'm doing the right things. I'm pushing out the content that I love. Um, I know it's helping people because people are messaging me, but I'm still, I'll have X amount of people unfollow me a week. And it's hard to take that, not personally. Yeah, 100%. Because it's, I think before, before I started pumping the fitness content um, and it was just me being me, I didn't really give a shit about social media well, I'd never have until I thought, right, this is going to be my life now. I am Nathan Joseph, PT, online coach. Um, but then you, you you do think to yourself, like, what the fuck am I doing for thousands of people to... And in a way, I didn't... I was literally on the show for like two seconds. I think I had one line. But um, there's people that I know from the show, they've lost hundreds of thousands of followers. So in that sense, I think... Y- and again, if, if your ex-girlfriend was to unfollow you, would you take it personally? To be fair, I wouldn't give a fuck. Like, oh, and, I, and, why, and why is that? Because she's not going to offer you anything. You know, she, yeah. there's zero chance she's going to be your girlfriend again. And there's zero chance she's going to buy, buy your online program. Yeah. These other people that are unfollowing you have the exact same path. Yeah. They're obviously just not interested. Guess what? Every single person who's unfollowed you isn't going to buy your program. Yeah. So you're worrying about people that I'm never going to give you money. That's uh, quite interesting. And I don't think I've told you this yet. Um, but I emailed you. I, I only look, I knew I'd spoke to you before. I emailed you in like 2018, I think. Yeah. And I said to you, mate, I like, this is literally, I've just sort of realized I'm struggling with my mental health. I see, I think you was in Australia at the time. I was like, lifestyle, amazing, helping people, amazing. I want that. So I was like, mate, like you, like what you're doing. How'd you do it? And you literally said exactly that to me. You said, you're going to have people that don't give a fuck about you and will never buy from you, but you might have 10 people that are interested in that. And you literally said, just fucking have it at those 10 people because they're the people that actually matter. It's exactly that. They're, and um, if you charge enough money, you only need 10 clients. I say this to people all the time. Mm. And like, uh, you know, fuck, fuck me. If people really want to know, in parts of the world, there are people that work as a private buyer. So they buy stuff for rich people. They have one client that mm. pays for their whole life. If you work for the fucking a Saudi or some, uh, you know, rich Arabic man, there's a chick that I uh, matched with on a dating app a couple of years ago. And she used to have to work night shifts to buy things for these uh, Arabs who were like billionaires. They wanted a rare rabbit at one in the morning. She had to go get it, right? And she only ever had one client and that was it. And her life revolved around living her own life and one client. And I love reminding myself of people. There are rich people out there. And there's, if you're a PT and you're worried Mm. about having a big following, one person, wealthy Russian, 
or some fucking oil baron, whatever it is, could go, I want you to come work for me. And you only ever need to worry about one person. Then you have 10 clients, whatever it is. We live in this world where we seem to think we have to get everyone to fucking like us, but you don't. Mm. Ultimately, you just need to have enough clients to pay your bills. Yep. And those people that unfollow, although you take it personally, I always remind myself because I lose, for whatever I grow, I lose half. So if I gain 10,000 followers, I lose five. Yep. Uh, so I'm only up by five like aggregate, but it's just people opting out. Just people that aren't interested. Yep. And you know, if we're walking down the street and someone was following you, it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And when you're trying to when you're trying to do something or like like let's say you're you're on a fucking plane, right? And some guy's like, Oh, I've seen you on TV. You're like, Oh fucking hell, here we go. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, on social media, one person follows we're like, Why? Yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> what <laughs> have I done? And uh, one thing I've come to realise is um also the better you do on social media, your algorithm will pick up stuff. Mm. So let's say you have a week of posting real good shit. Mm. you're going to be all over people's news feeds and more likely to get people to unsubscribe from you. Okay. So when I post more, my unfollows increase. Shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because they're like fucking, oh, get I'm sick of seeing this yeah. guy. Because yeah. people only see about five or 10 posts before they switch to another app. What, um, that's, that's actually an interesting stat. How how often do you post daily? I know we're going off on a bit of a tangent. No, mostly, here, um, yeah, I try and do one a day. Mm. Um, and, and here's another golden nugget for any PTs. Uh, so PTs are petrified of reposting old content because of the rebuttal they'll get from people. They think mm. someone's going to go, oh, I've already fucking seen this. Right? That's what they think is going to happen. But one in 10 people are lucky to see your post. 90% of them haven't seen it. Mm. And if someone really is pissed off that you posted something twice, if it was a video about how to use my fitness pal, someone's like, I've already fucking seen this. If they're pissed off about you trying to help people not once but twice, then they're never going to buy your fucking plan. I agree but I also think as well I've reposted old content I'm, don't give a fuck that I've done that but if you was to if someone was to say to me oh what has X, X person posted yesterday I'd be like well, I ain't got a fucking clue the only way you sometimes can tell is like for me if my hair's longer oh well yesterday's hair was short do you know what I mean so people don't even care so much about that and, and this is the thing so when I say to PTs about this I do these um, like business the business events mm. I go, I'm offering you doubling your posting frequency for no extra work. Mm -hmm. Doubling. If yeah. you post 200 times a year, it just became 400. And Female Fat Loss, which is my most viral video that's ever uh, happened on social media, it was the fourth time I posted it, it went viral. Oh. Fourth time I posted Female Fat Loss. I don't know it, what that noise was then. But. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Got like a couple hundred thousand, 100,000, 150,000. Next one did 5.8 million in like a month. Fucking hell. And uh, funnily enough, uh, so that one went viral on the fourth post. So I always remind people like, you know, posting is like jabbing in like a boxing match. Mm. Sometimes you just throw it out there just for a distance check and you fucking clock someone in the nose with it. Yeah. And you're always setting up for a big right, which is going to be like, obviously your, your good content, call to action or whatever it is. But people again, why are they worried about reposting? It's an insecurity again. Mm. They're insecure that someone's going to have already seen it. But like I say, even a good post, not, not many people are actually going to see it out of your following. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy one. So I try and post something every day. I'm not afraid to repost stuff. Um, leaving it for too long, obviously, I just, you know, and sometimes I do go back and look at a repost. I go, fucking hell, that really, that really did better. And you've mm. got to try and remain relevant. And there is pressure. And if I have, a, like, two, three days off posting, people are like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just playing Warzone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just deep in cut. Haven't left the bed. Yeah. Um, um, one, I, I keep saying one more thing, but... Um, a thing that I think 
well, I'm not afraid to admit is I'm definitely affected by body dysmorphia. Um, I don't think I'm ever happy with how I look. But then when I look back at pictures, I'll be like, then I was in decent nick. But I can remember how I felt then. Have you experienced that? And would you do you, do you have any ways of how to deal with that? Yeah, and I'm, I'm guilty as charged because I've done four steroid cycles before. Mm-hmm. And if people are ever... When, it, when someone says they've been on steroids, people go, or oh, you've just gone on gear. You have to understand the mindset of when you buy your test oils, you buy your drugs that you need for post-cycle therapy. So I had breast cancer drugs. I got drugs they give to kids to make their balls drop. I got fucking tamoxifen is what they give to people when they get breast cancer. I've got Nolvidex. I've got all this shit. Then I have to go to Boots to get my needles, right? Yeah. So I have to go to Boots. I think it was called a green pack. So when you go there, you go to the um, counter at the pharmacy and you're like, can I get a green pack? And their face just drops because it's a needle set for people that are taking drugs. So yeah. they reckon you could be shooting heroin. Yeah. For all yeah. they care. They just want you <laughs> just to- Just looking at you are. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, they're like- uh, You look all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a heroin fucking yeah. addict. And then you've got to get your blues and your greens and you got to go home. And uh, for three of these cycles, I was living at home. So I'm in my bedroom at my mum and dad's house and I'm using my green to draw back the oil. Then I've got to put the blue on. And during this, you're thinking to yourself, what on earth am I doing? Mm. What is this for? And it is for, you think to yourself, I want to look better. That yeah. is it. Yeah. That's it. It's not about feeling better. And you do feel better on test. But it's about looking better. So then I've got to put the blue on. I've then got to push the oil through. You know in the films where the oil comes out and yeah, they squirt yeah. it? You've got to do that to make sure there's no oxygen in it. Cool. So I've now got to get an alcohol swab. I've now got to turn around on my bed and put my leg over to expose my butt cheek. The upper outer quadrant of your butt cheek is like the least vascular tissue in the body. Mm-hmm. If I hit a vein and I inject into it, I'm in a lot of trouble. So I'm, I haven't got the best mobility at the best of times. So I'm leaning over on my bed and I got a tattoo on my ass cheek and I used to aim for that all the time when I was injecting on one side. Target, is it? Yeah, so then <laughs> putting in a needle quick hurts a lot less than doing it slow, but you can't do it quick unless you're an experienced jabber, right? Right. So you push it in and it feels like a squeak when you push the pin into your tissue, right? A few people are going to scream in background. The, the needle is about two and a half inches long and you've got to get it in yep. like the whole way. But you've got to make sure you don't go in the whole way in case you snap it, right? So I'm there laying on my side. I push the needle two and a half inches into my butt cheek. I've then got to push the plunger away. It's called like aspirating to make sure you're not in a vein. If bubbles, uh, if bubbles go in, you're okay. If blood goes into the syringe, you're to stop and start again because you're in a vein. Right. I've then got to push that plunger to get all the oil into my glute. Then I get cramp in my hands from the clenbuterol that I'm taking, Right. So now I've got cramp in my hand from the clen. I've got a needle fucking sticking out my ass. I'm not even halfway through the plunger. My hand seized up. And I'm there thinking to myself, the only thing that's going to get me through this is the notion of why I'm doing it. And that is to look better. Fucking hell. So I continue with the plunge. I get it in. I pull it out. Bit of blood spurts onto my bed sheets. I think, oh, fucking hell. What am I going to tell my parents about this? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm there and I've got a swab and I'm like rubbing it. Because if you don't uh, massage it enough, you get really bad doms from it. So when people talk about body dysmorphia, I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I've been there because I was going to quite extremes to... How often would you have to do that? Twice a week, Monday, Thursday. Fucking hell. Uh, And that's on quite a safe cycle. So injecting is safer than orals because if you take orals, uh, your liver's got to break them down. It's very taxing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it means that you can take like a substantial amount. It's not a bad frequency, Monday, Thursday. Um, And then after that, I've got to do post-cycle therapy. I was lucky to never get any poor side effects. 
uh, my nuts would shrink yep. to the size of grapes. They pop up inside me when I was having sex. Um, Rough. Yeah, and then and then you come off and you get weaker and you've got all these things you're dealing with. But at the end of the day, I just wanted to look better. But I was lucky enough to realize in my fourth cycle, my fourth cycle, I just didn't feel good on it. Right, okay. I was so like, that was going to be what I was going to ask you. Like, what made you sort of move away? Three of them were fucking amazing, mate. Yeah. And I kept about one and a half to two kilograms of muscle mass every cycle. Fair. But on the fourth one, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. Fucking hell. Yeah, it, was, it was bad. Like, um, I didn't feel good. I didn't look good. I was holding water. Um, I was about 10 kilograms heavier than I am now. So 10 kg is quite a lot. So I'm walking yeah. around with a green plate. So I couldn't run. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. not athletic <laughs> yeah. at all, mate. And it was all in a bid to try and look better. And then, do you know what? You, you've really got to find out why you want to look a certain way. Mm. And I feel a lot of it is to do with like acceptance, especially in our industry. Mm -hmm. If you look, we won't use any names. If you think about the main educators in our space, the ones we learn our trade from, they're all on steroids. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And all the poliquin lot, all on gear. Yeah. Like I think that is very true, isn't it? Like, and I think... We go to these PT seminars, right? And we look at the guys we learn from. And we look at the size of their arms and we go, fuck, we're never going to be taken seriously here. No one's going to come to us for advice. And they, they cross their arms on their business pages and whatever. <laughs> yeah. And you see the fucking 18 inch biceps on them. And it's... it's Veins like two inches wide. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because they're, they're either on gear or they've been on gear. And, you know, it, it does present this almost like a body dysmorphia, but like a career dysmorphia. Hmm. Where we feel like we're boys amongst men. And that if we don't look a certain way, that we won't be taken seriously. I was very lucky to get off those tracks. Yeah. To where I was like, Do you know what? I used to always joke and say online PTs from the chest up. So if I had abs or not, no one would know. Yeah, 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 fair. <laughs> and um, is that the uh, dick, uh, picture on Instagram? Is yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just get the fucking profile picture. And I'm there with as like long a, as the pics, a uh, can the of beer and a pot belly, <laughs> pot belly and a can of beer. But um, but yeah, no, it's just like it, it's what's the point and even from if you get most women in front of you yeah there's fitness tricks but if you get most women in front of you what do you want from a man chivalry you know I want him to be kind caring want to listen when I talk yeah someone to share moments with go on holiday with have a laugh yeah and mate to have good banter if you said someone banter or abs yeah 99% of women are going to say fucking banter and the 1% are take, abs I'd say most women want to make sure that they're better looking than their other half anyway yeah you know what I mean they don't want to yeah. be outdone and again this is another thing so if you try so hard on improving yourself to look what you deem perfect you're going to repel a lot of people same way that these people on social media that try and portray themselves as perfect repel a lot of people no one does it. no one wants to follow some fucking perfect princess who does stupid amounts of fucking exercise yeah turns them off they see someone doing three workouts a day they're like fuck this person yeah it's not real yeah yep. and um yeah so yeah, body dysmorphia was something I struggled with more when I was younger. Now it's just enough to get me to train when I don't want to train. Yeah, fair. Okay. And I like that balance. Yeah, I'd I'd say def I'd say I'm probably for me, like I say, when I got into fitness, it was definitely about how I looked. I'd so, I'd say if training had an opposite effect on my physical appearance, would I still do it for the mental part of it and how that makes me feel? Um, I would say I'd still do it to some extent, but now I'd say I'm happy to, I used to think, oh, if I go to a beach and I haven't got abs, then people are going to look at me and think you fat fuck. Um, whereas now you'll catch me 
being a ball of fluff down at bondage. And, and, I mean? mate, and but the thing is as well, if you can operate a good business and you can help people, I always had in my back pocket, someone goes, you're a bit overweight for PT. I go, yeah, I'd feel the same if I had 2,000 more clients than you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, always, always have these comebacks. They're like, oh, you're looking a bit soft. What's that? Sunday Times bestseller? Oh, what? Oh, you said I was looking soft. Like, you know, you have a bit of banter with people yeah. about it because it's not a metric that anyone really cares about for um, for success. But another thing as well, doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, my performance has nothing to do with how ripped I am. Mm. Like, that's a technical sport and I'm either wearing a gi or a rash guard. And no one cares about how in shape you are because the fit guys come and we fuck them up. They use all their strength in the first few minutes. They gas and we choke the fuck out of them. So I, uh, I, I started my Muay Thai at the start of the year um, in, in the junction because uh, obviously out here, UFC's on at a better time. Got well into my UFC. I do enjoy the striking side of it. But my mate, um, Chris, has just joined Garage Jiu-Jitsu. He's, he was... Uh, training in the city but COVID happened so that meant he was working from home so he's moved gym now I know that's like frowned upon in the jiu-jitsu community unless there's a decent reason but for me like you say like I feel like if I was to do jiu-jitsu I'm gonna get thrown around like a ragdoll like I'm 6'5 uh, about 100 kilos but still I know that that probably would mean it's a very, it's nothing a very, in the it's gym. a very friendly environment for a start I and mean, everyone's very happy to see you but you're not beaten up so if a new white belt comes in I don't beat him up I try and tell him what to do. Yeah. Uh, but the, the funniest thing is uh, what you see with big guys, and I'm only a blue belt, so I'm not speaking from fucking loads of experience, but uh, you roll with a big guy. So let's say me and you roll. Mm. And then I advance my position a bit. You won't like it. And you will start going quite hard trying to get your position back. Yeah. And then I'll be like, okay. So then I'll start going a bit harder. Mm-hmm. Then before you know it, you're going, right, fuck this. I'm, I'm fucking, I'm doing this. Let's go for it. And you'll see a little smile come out of the high belt. They're like, okay, good. Nice for bringing this. And then we will just literally keep you at bay and you will keep making the same mistakes, same mistakes. Mm. You advance your position, but then you won't do the right thing to secure it. So we put you back in your old position. And then before you know it, three minutes, your soul just escapes you. Yeah. As you realize you've got nothing Guessed. left. Then I will watch you Being look built. at the clock and there's four minutes left. Now I will smile. And for four minutes, you've got no energy. And even if I just put you into a certain position, you'll tap and I'll go, you can't tap. I'm not submitting you. Yeah. I'm not taking your tap. <laughs> yeah. And even the black belt will look and be like, you can't tap there. <laughs> I mean, you've got, you're like in a straight jacket. You've got one arm wrapped around your back. You're stuck in a position where you can't move. And, and like, it's a very humbling experience. But again, like, no, and another thing about jujitsu is if you roll well, and you take someone and you sweep someone and you submit them. They're like, oh, good rolls today. No one comes in. If you gain 10 kilograms, I'm only worried about what that's going to feel like when you're sat on me. Yeah. I'm not going to be like, oh, you've put on a bit of weight. Yeah, yeah, fair. I'm not going to be like, oh, you've lost weight. If you've lost weight, I'm thinking that's less top pressure. Mm-hmm. I'm happy if you lose weight because that's, that's better for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's nice to be so far removed from physique. No one cares about your physique in jiu-jitsu. I right? think, yeah. And I think that for me as well, it's like... Uh, when I, when I started Muay Thai, it's because, all right, I, like I say, I love gym, but doing it for 10 years now, it's boring. Do you know what I mean? Performance is more important. I could go on to, well, quickly summarize. Um, I know you drive and Diren drives and that sort of circle that you have drive the performance goals over physic, physical goals. Why is that? Like what? Because that is, um, I think that's a massive um element that can improve people's mental health because you're obviously progressing but i'll let you 
I think um, you need to remove yourself from uh, being results orientated. And even now, I can hand on heart tell you, I have no idea how much money I make. No mm-hmm. idea. I honestly don't. Fair. My business partner in the academy runs the accounts. Yep. I only get my basic salary and my dividends. Yeah. I can't even log into the PayPal. I don't even have the password. Yeah. I have no idea how many books I've sold because that's not what motivates me. And not to be blasé, I obviously care about earning money, but I don't care about how much. Mm-hmm. That's not the focus that I like. Again, if you were to ask me my accumulative volume of how much I lifted today, I don't know because yeah. I wasn't focused on that. Now, when people are focused just on uh, you know, their aesthetics, I feel they're just focused on the money, not the process. So when people become performance orientated, they wake up and it's just about giving it all to that. Mm-hmm. The byproduct will come. There have to be tweaks. Again, the difference between a successful business or an unsuccessful business. But for me, I don't look at how many people click on my emails. I don't look at how many people, uh, you know, do this or do that. For me, I need to focus on doing my lives today, on putting out content. And because of that, my email list will grow. If I focus too much on just the end product, then it's very easy to become disheartened. Mm. If no one signs up to my academy this week, zero people, but I've done all the processes, I'm not that disheartened. I'm like, oh, it's just a bad week. Yeah. And I think people need to remove themselves as far as away from the outcome as they can. Because if someone falls in love with the gym, falls in love with training or falls in love with improving their diet, the outcome will come. But if they only fucking settle on the outcome, whether it's their weight or how they look, they're going to inevitably wake up soft after a weekend or put on some weight through different parts of the menstrual cycle or having a lot of salt the night before. Yeah. And then they'll have the fuck it mentality. And for some reason, dieters alike and tra- training people, people that are training, your strength does not linear increase over time. It's ups and downs. Mm-hmm. But if people go to the gym and they have one day where they're two kilograms heavier than usual and they're weaker than usual, although it could just be a dip, an anomaly, it's like getting a flat tire and then slashing the other three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you fucking you can't yeah. slash them all. And you turn up and you're like, what happened? Four, four, four flat tires. And, uh, you know, and if you just focus on the process, the performance, the steps, everything like that, then you, you become less focused on that. And if you look at, if we were to look at Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, all these people, I very much guarantee they were just focused about running the business. Mm-hmm. And then they became billionaires because of it. So, this is, we will wrap up here, but um, I don't want to keep you from COD anymore. Um, I have a thing. So, when I started online, which was at the start of the year, I don't feel any different now from the first person that I helped than to the amount of clients that I have now. I just don't feel, I feel like everyone, obviously, I'm happier that I'm helping more people, but the feeling of helping someone has not changed the more I've scaled up. Is that the same for you? Or do you think, fucking hell, like now I've got X amount of... I did a, I did a post about this. Glad you didn't see it. Because 95% of people wouldn't have. Scroll, it's fucking scroll social, back, scroll back. No, no, no. And <laughs> it's, it, it's exactly the point you made earlier. I can't assume for you to have seen it because you won't. Yeah. I'll repost it today. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my due diligence. <laughs> so um, in essence, when I was in uh, Bracknell, I was working as a PT. I was writing blogs. My biggest blog at the time on WordPress was about potato versus sweet potato. Mm. I put the stats together, calories, nutrients. And I was like, do you know what? I think the regular potato is actually better than sweet potato. Yeah. And I came to the conclusion that sweet potato only wins because you don't have to put butter on it. Fair. And I was like, that's why it's gained such a positive potato status. And I was like trying to save the spud. <laughs> and um, the, I'm sitting in Waitrose, Bracknell, I'm in the cafe. 
um, which I've been to a few times since, and the coffee quality's got worse. Sorry, Waitrose. I think it's because you come out here. Yeah, yeah like, probably. Yeah. English coffee shit. Well, last it? time, I like had, I just pretty much got hot water that was black. <laughs> like it was dog shit. And uh, this guy sat down next to me, and I'm writing a blog, and he goes, "I really like reading your blogs." And I was like, "Fucking hell." <laughs> I've made it. This is the time. Yeah, literally, I was, I was creaming my pants because I had more followers than my rugby club. Yeah. I hit 1,900 followers on Facebook. I was like, I have more followers than Reading Enzian's Rugby <laughs> Football Club. Come on, who wants it? Yeah, I fucking, I'm, fa- I'm fucking famous turned up to rugby that night. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, what's that? More followers than the rugby club? Don't worry about it. Um, but then again, with the Sunday Times bestseller, when I got that, I was, ex- I was very happy, but mm. I was probably no more happy than I was before. Yeah. And one of my mates said, oh, you must be buzzing about your next book. And I was like, I am, but I don't feel like I could get any happier. Like, it, it's not a linear thing. It's not like, it's not like a fucking, the highs don't increase over time. Mm-hmm. And this is another reason that for, just enjoy your wins wherever they are, because they all feel the same. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee that, you know, when you make your first 10 grand, then your first 100 grand, then you make your first million, they all feel the same. Mm-hmm. They all feel the same. And this is why people get so caught up with looking at other people and what they're doing. And, you know, what it's not important. All your victories, first of all, you determine where your victories are. No one else does. So, you know, they, they're all going to be just as happy as each other. So don't get caught up on someone else's because they're no happier than what you are. Jeff Bezos, uh, trillionaire status. Yeah. Exact same as billionaire. I can imagine it's the exact same as millionaire status yeah. for him. Because nothing in his life changes, really. Mm-hmm. And for me, writing a second book, more tours, more hangovers, more fucking, more fucking events. But at the end of the day, nothing really changes. Mm-hmm. And uh, human beings will get used to whatever we subject ourselves to. And whether it's a nice flat, whether it's a mansion, whether it's your fucking one-bed studio, after the first couple of weeks of living in it, it just feels normal. Yeah, fair. And so, well, you know, people that, if you look at your neighbor's house, who's a bit bigger, they're bored of it as well. Yeah. And that's it. So yeah, all feels the same. Fair play. Right. Obviously, before we started the podcast, I said, James Smith, I want you to think of an interesting fact to end it. Hmm. Let me try and think. Only 2% of the world are blonde. Is that fucking true? Mm. So if you think about it, fucking Latino, hell. South America. Yeah. Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Africa. Yeah. Asia. India. Scandinavia is really your only 2% of the population. So you think, what, two out of six people are Chinese? Yeah. So there you go, 2% of the world are blonde. Okay. James yeah. Smith the Viking. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah, sweet. Um, my one, I'm going to nick my mate's one. Um, but basically, back in the Wild West, um, when there was cowboys, they used to get paid on the first day of the month. You're looking at me as if you might know this. No, 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 I don't know this. Oh, okay. So they was paid on the first day of the month. Um obviously had really bad drinking habits back then. So they'd go to the bar, spend all their money and they'd have to obviously buy what they needed for the month to be a cowboy. So bullets and so on. Um, Barman would realize they wanted their custom. So they came up with the idea of every time you want to drink, you can trade me a bullet. And when you get paid on the first day of the month, you can buy back your bullets. So cowboy said, yeah. And that is why a shot is called a shot. That's good. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to steal that one. Yeah. It's going to be on the fair points next week. Mate, invite me on. I'll say it myself. <laughs> but class, no, honestly, mate, um, big, it is a big day for me. I can't lie. Um, speaking to you. 
Um, you definitely are one of my idols. Hopefully one day one of my rivals. But um, I'll be begging to come on your podcast so you know. Yeah, fucking, fucking do right, mate. <laughs> All right, anyway, uh, thanks for coming on, mate. Absolute Cheers. legend. Cheers. Thank you. Sweet.